0: You're listening to Body Dreams and Nightmares, the podcast where we're harnessing the hidden superpowers of people with chronic pain and invisible illness. Hey there, dream tenders. This is Janelle in Rarity here, and you are listening to My Body Has Dreams and Nightmares, the podcast for folks who experience chronic pain and invisible illness and want to expand into a deeper awareness of what that means for the overall process of life. And I've run several episodes now that I consider to be pilot episodes at this point because I learned so much about where I want to go with this, where you want to go with this, and and the deep dreaming nature that I want to get in touch with in this podcast. And I've been doing a lot of exploration and work in my own time and in my own process in the last few weeks coming into the new year. Working with dreaming first. When I encounter a challenge in my health, when I encounter a challenge in my life, in my relationships, I've made a commitment to myself to go first into the dreaming. How can I work with things on an intuitive, dreaming, archetypal, uh, awareness-based level before I go into taking concrete action in the world or working in relationship, and it's had profound impacts. I've noticed massive shifts happening in a lot of areas of my life, and so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you over the coming weeks and months and to guiding you in that process yourself. I have some really exciting programming coming up over the course of the next few months and during 2018 to help you get in touch with that yourself and that's part of why I'm really excited about today's episode as well. I've invited Lauren Worsch here, and you'll hear an introduction to her work shortly, but she really encapsulates and embodies that dreaming experience of how do we work with the very real, sometimes incredibly painful, incredibly difficult, challenging realities that we're facing with chronic pain and invisible illness, and Work with them from a dreaming perspective, from a perspective of deep awareness, from a, a perspective that is sometimes timeless and takes into account the multifaceted nature of our embodiment as humans on this earth. Now, in this episode, I had a little bit of challenge with um, my sound quality, and I've sorted that out now, but you'll hear it come in and out a little bit, so I apologize for that. I put a lot of effort into making it very easy to listen to and editing out the, the glitches there, so hopefully it'll be just be smooth sailing and you'll enjoy the episode, and please let me know what you learn, how it goes, um, head on over to my website, my blog, to the Patreon page, to my YouTube channel at JFacilitates. And and let me know what you learn, what your reactions are, what your questions, your remaining questions are. Let me know if you want to hear more from Lauren and anybody else that you want to hear interviewed on this podcast. Please send me some messages. I have a good lineup coming in the the coming months. And with no further ado, we'll take you into my interview with Lauren Warsh.
1: Our guest here today is Lauren Worsch. Lauren is a teacher, writer, somatic impact healer, and interdimensional messenger. She was a yoga and meditation teacher for 15 years. She's 52 years old, and she's been navigating her own chronic illness process since her early 20s. She stayed functional for a long time by managing her own illness through diet and self-care, but in her mid-40s, she was finally too ill to work, and she entered a dark night of the soul. Once she fully surrendered to the depth of her experience, she was able to begin doing the deeper shadow work and the emotional work that allowed her to develop her current offerings. She now guides empaths, highly sensitive individuals, and folks with chronic illness through their own deeper work. She focuses on supporting and guiding others through a process, uh, first of deprogramming, unwinding those aspects of core conditioning that lock people into patterns of suffering. And second, through connecting with and embodying the deeper aspects of soul and self that are ready to be activated, integrated, and allowed to blossom in people's expression in the world. She has some incredible program offerings and I asked her to be here today because I really resonate with some of the things she's doing around holding the whole of a person and she has some really exciting things around food as medicine that we'll get to a bit later. And I want to invite you all into this conversation, Dream Tenders, uh, because Lauren and I talked before this conversation about our experiences of chronic illness and brain fog and health issues that were coming up for both of us as we led up to this interview. And we were both having some sort of fuzzy brain fog experiences, and um, we've discussed how we uh, anybody who experiences brain fog will be familiar with this experience of there's a word out there and you can't quite catch it, or your short-term memory kind of goes away for a minute and you have to sort of work to, to get it back, go through the fog to get it back. And if this is your experience on a regular basis, like so many of us with chronic pain, chronic illness, you just have to find different ways to navigate the world. The world doesn't stop. And so we talked about how we could show up for this interview and this process and actually treat that brain fog experience and the other experiences going with it as part of the dreaming, as part of the dreaming process. So I want to invite all of you into that. We're going to be dreamy today. We're going to give ourselves some space. We're going to allow ourselves some pause. We're going to allow ourselves those moments of forgetfulness and see what's in them rather than being against them. And I want to invite you to be on that journey with us. So that being said, I'll invite Lauren in here to tell us some more about her uh, own experience. And Lauren, are you there?
2: I'm here. Thanks. Carol. Hi.
1: Thank you so much for being here.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure.
1: Um, so I've given people a little bit of, of background about what your, what your process was to get to the work that you're doing here. But what else would you like people to know about your journey and your work? I, first of all, I just love the
2: way that you created the context for our conversation because I think um, anyone who's experienced chronic illness, it part of that experience involves a lot of invalidation from the world, um, and I see that as a big part of my work is helping to create the spaces and the experiences where we really get to see the whole of our experience as valid. So. It's kind of perfect that you and I both have some brain fog today, um, because you know it's rare that I have the opportunity to actually relax into the truth of that being part of the truth of my experience, and to actually soften into a conversation where I want to be sharp and I want to I want to be at my best so that we can have the best possible exchange, but it's going to have kind of a different rhythm. I'm happy to answer any particular questions about. My offerings, but I'm just really looking
1: forward to how the conversation wants to flow today. Well, I I think a really exciting and interesting entry point for me in your work is illness as spiritual initiation, and I know that that's part of the programming you offer, and also sort of an underlying philosophy that you that you work with and. I wonder if you can unpack that for us a little bit. What does that mean? Illness as spiritual initiation, and how do you work with that?
2: Sure. Well, um, so first off, the way I see spiritual initiation is it's it's anything that causes a profound shift in your perception or your sense of identity, and in your awareness of just of what is your awareness of reality. It involves a profound expansion of consciousness, and it also confronts us with inescapable shadow work. Initiation is the door that's opened, and then there's this unending unfoldment and integration, or a process of ongoing expansion, and then consolidating and reorganizing. Spiritual initiation, the reason I, I like that term is because it's it has to do with moving beyond exclusive identification with our ego structure, with the defensive ego structure, which is basically our conditioned identity. The thing about the ego structure is that it's designed to be defensive, and it's designed to keep you from having experiences of profound insecurity and destabilization. Uh So it's very good at keeping us from sometimes facing exactly the things we most need to face in order to grow. So illness, And crises in general force us, or often force us, to confront the emotions and the experiences that the defensive ego is designed to suppress. And it gives us an opportunity to see where that ego structure is all wonky and dysfunctional. And eventually it gives us the opportunity to recreate that structure in a more healthy, coherent form. Um, So for me, my personal experience has been that my body has been my greatest teacher. Every time that I really settle my attention into my body, my awareness expands into new territory. And some of that territory has involved recognizing where my ego is not very functional, you know, where it's it's running a pattern that's not serving me and it's not allowing me to relax freely into my full expression in the world to give my gifts and that sort of thing. So in letting my body be the teacher, I've been able to, uh, I've been forced to confront some of the ways that that patterning doesn't serve me and start to unpack it. Is that making sense?
1: Yes, and it's it's really making me think about how every traditional culture in the world has some sort of initiation rite of passage and initiation into different phases of life, and one of the things that that involves across the board is the uh, a, a removal of the structures that support someone's everyday identity, whether that means going out into the wilderness or being in isolation for a while or any manner of things, getting into some sort of extended trance state. There's so many things and, and we don't have that as a, as a general rule in, in modern Western culture. And there are places where it's there, but there's something I uh, hear in, in what you're talking about where the body comes in and says, we're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> you, you, you have to deconstruct and, and go down and listen to what's underneath your everyday identity. And you don't have a choice it's, when your body does it. Exactly, exactly.
2: Yeah, w- one of the things I realized was that, um, part of what illness forced me to do was to confront the underlying dynamics in society and culture in the world we share and create together, the elements in this world that we create together that are also dysfunctional. So it's interesting that we don't really have those rituals of initiation anymore. I think that's kind of a reflection of some of the ways that our culture has gone off track. It's interesting, like, I, sometimes I wonder if those of us who um, are really... Life is not going to feel meaningful to us unless we're giving from our depths, you know, unless we're making a very soulful offering and having lacked that those initiation rituals from our culture it's interesting that we may be the ones that are more likely to confront the crises of illness or other sorts of crises to kind of kick us into our deeper actualization
1: um, and you you work a lot with folks who identify as or who have um tendencies that maybe they don't identify yet as sensitive highly sensitive people or empaths and um that seems to fall into the category of what you're talking about of people who who really need that kind of depth in the world who really don't actually function very well at the superficial level but really need to have meaning and depth and connection and um something that really has some has some foothold um and can you talk a little bit about what that means? What does it mean to be a highly sensitive person? What does it mean to be an empath and how that relates to the way that chronic symptoms might be showing up? Yeah, I'd love to.
2: Kind of essential to my perception of what a sensitive is, is that um sensitives are people with deep hearts and people who feel a need to contribute deeply. So they need to give from their depth in order to feel like life is meaningful. That's one of the things that actually defines a sensitive, in my understanding. It's also, though, that sensitives and empaths actually have uh, nervous systems that are built somewhat differently, and, and an energy system that's built somewhat differently from the average person. That's a legit thing, and society doesn't really recognize that. But what it, what it comes down to is I think that a sensitive is someone whose nervous system and energy system picks up more information from the environment. And they're also more sensitive to that information that they're picking up and easily overwhelmed by it. So, um, sensitives have really deep gifts to give because their gifts are coming from such a depth and because they're so heart-motivated. Sensitives also often have um, almost a sense of remembering a different way of living that's healthier, that's more beautiful. Uh, Charles Eisenstein has this, I think he has a book called The More Beautiful World, Our Hearts Know It's Possible. Mm-hmm. I, I like that phrase. Um, I think sensitives kind of have this inherent intuitive sense of What that is and, and so have also always been more likely to feel kind of out of sync with society as it is. Like this isn't, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I also think sensitives have particular challenges though, partially because of the way our society is, but also because it's, there's a lot to organize. You know, there's a lot of information always coming in and learning how to take care of yourself and how to live with your gifts and how to um how to manage overwhelm, how to value your gifts when you're not getting a reflection of the value of how you are from the world at large. How to validate yourself when that validation isn't coming in from the outside. Um, there, so there are very particular challenges that sensitives have, and since we rarely receive the kind of guidance and mirroring we needed to know how to navigate in this world as a sensitive creature, it's usually a kind of thing we have to train ourselves in or get some remedial education in as adults. Um, and that starts with just learning how to honor ourselves and take care of ourselves and to value that. It's good that some of the people in the world are sensitive because we have a particular gift to give that the world
1: needs. Well, that's really big because it's it's so easy when you're sensing the world so strongly, and yet nobody's teaching you how to filter that uh, to just think that all of that is your own, all of that is your own uh, inner stuff, and to. I'm having a really good brain fog moment. I'm just gonna say it. I was. I was playing (laughs) off of something that you said, and then halfway through my sentence, the what you said completely away. I (laughs) totally feel that. (laughs) There's the target. (laughs) I get it. So I'm going to say, I'm just going to work with that in the moment of like, there's something in, like if I really trust that as a dreaming process, and I drop down into it, I can say, okay, maybe what I was saying was not quite the thing that I needed to deepen, or not quite the thing that I needed to reflect back, or, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, so that resonates for you. So was there something else that was like, oh, but this is what needs to deepen? Well, well, I like,
2: I like what you were saying about not knowing how to filter.
1: Um,
2: and we could go further with that, but I don't know if we need to. I'm not quite sure where you were going to go with it.
1: Me neither. Where, where, where would
2: you go with that? <laughs> um, well, I think I think what I would say is that it's a process. It's really a process to learn how to honor your way, um, and a big part of that is learning how to filter how how to have good energetic hygiene, um, and some of that's going to be unique to every single individual. And then there are also a lot of things that almost all sensitive, you know, there are a lot of tricks and tools that would benefit almost all sensitives and Mm empaths. But I think one of the things that's most important is, and a place where so much of the healing is needed, is in, since we didn't receive accurate mirroring of our value and also of our true needs, we need to learn how to give that to ourselves And we need to create community where we can have that kind of support from other, you know, other people that are built like us. You know, we can learn together, too. Like, I think we're in an ongoing process of learning how to filter. There's a lot to filter, right? The world's really overwhelming. To filter and to also to organize the information we take in. You know, how do we take in that information, make meaning of it that is empowering rather than disempowering? I
1: think that's a that's sort of a good point to to bring in something that we've talked about before that's a challenging and fascinating paradox is this feeling these are these are gifts this sensitivity and even this spiritual initiation through illness and this capacity to feel in this way are is an incredible gift and can be said that somebody on a deeper level, on a soul level or however you conceive of a, a higher self or a, a bigger awareness can call in in this kind of illness or this kind of sensitivity for the growth and personal process of an individual. And yet simultaneously knowing that it's it's not somebody's fault, it's not our fault that we're sick or it's not our fault that we're in pain and we're not choosing it. And yet on this higher level, there's this sort of... Um, Need mm. for it. I don't even know if I want to call it a choice, but it's a, it's a really interesting paradox to grapple with. And I know you have, and I wonder if you mm. have any new juicy thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I, I love that. I think this is such a big topic. I would love for there to be a lot more conversations about this in society in general. So there's, there's so much to unpack here, but, um, I'd love to take a shot at it. So, I think that, first of all, I just love the way you're framing it, like something that we call in, or, or it's almost a way we call ourselves in. You know, we, let's say the deeper self creates a circumstance where we can't just cruise endlessly in, um, in our current sense of identity and defensive ego structure, because we're not actually bringing our gifts forth into the world um, in these smaller sense of identity. And so what you said about calling in an experience that actually initiates us, I do think that that is a part of the process that we have to um, reconcile ourselves with when you're dealing with long-term illness. Um But it's so tricky because Generally speaking, people just go into blame and, and, and a kind of misunderstanding. Like, when you hear the New Ageisms about we create our experience, we create everything in our experience, I think there's a level at which that's true, but I think it's hugely misunderstood and misinterpreted. Um, because one, we co-create it. We co-create it with an entire human society and the, and the, um, collective consciousness of that society. So that complicates things immensely. And then two, we are both a sovereign creator. There's the level at which I believe that's, that's the deepest truth. And we're sovereign creators, and we have given ourselves the experience of working with a very dense energetic reality and um, conditions of great limitation. Uh, When I say that, I'm just talking about uh, the human experience in general, not even the experience of illness. I think partly we incarnate as human beings to experience limitation and to find out what's it like to create inside of this experience of limitation. I think the misunderstanding is that we, we think that if you created your experience, you're to blame for being ill. And then we live in a society that also marginalizes people that are ill and stigmatizes that. And so Even if the blame isn't explicit, you're constantly getting this message that you're to blame. And the energetic message you are to blame is completely misguided. It's totally wrong. There is no blame in this. If you created your illness or at the level at which you create illness, that's a genius move. You know, it's not to victimize yourself. It's to bring forth your deeper expression, your deeper realization. I also think though that even even at that level, you can't just say that, you can't just, um, assume responsibility only as an individual because there are all kinds of environmental factors, toxins in the environment, and, and then there's the matter that we were talking about a minute ago of collective consciousness and, and co-creation. So, you're never entirely responsible for creating the situation, but to the extent that you have created This experience is actually something that you created from your deeper intelligence, from your soul intelligence, to birth a much more expanded experience of yourself and your creative ability. And some of that creative ability is is about recognizing that you always have the opportunity to choose how you respond to life but you don't necessarily always have the opportunity to change the outer circumstance.
1: You know, when you say birth, it really, it something clicked for me in the sense of actual birth and this, the, the same paradox existing in the sense that, yes, you created this human being, two people got together, made this person, you did all the things to support life coming through. And at the same time, life created itself and, this person comes through with all of these characteristics and tendencies that you didn't put there. And no matter what you do, they're still going to be there. And yet you have an opportunity and, and, uh, um, potentially an obligation depending on how you, how you take parenting to, um, to facilitate this, this, this process of, of this human being becoming. And so it just really struck me as the, the same paradox. In a way. Like you totally created this and you totally didn't at the same time. Exactly.
2: And and then I like that you bring in parenting. You know, this is this is where because part of the process is learning how to parent ourselves and to keep birthing ourselves
1: to what happens when you get to a deeper layer And maybe you even get to a place that feels like what you identify as healing, like pain is less or even gone for a while, or the symptoms, whatever symptoms are happening are less or even gone for a while, or depression is is less or or gone for a while. And then if there's even a hint of those symptoms returning, or sometimes they return fully or even more, it can be even more devastating than the round before. Because it's so, you're like, I, I made it through that. And then mm-hmm. it's like that much more painful. And, and I know mm-hmm. for myself, I've experienced that with depression where it's like even the, the, the little hint of that feeling was so terrifying because I knew how far it could go and, and I didn't want to go back. And it's taken a long time to learn ways of working with it where now I get a little hint of it and I go, Oh, hello, friend. Okay. We're going to, we're going to do some work now. You have a message for me. And I, and I work with it. Um, I'm still not quite there with physical pain all the time. (laughs) How, how do you, how do you work with that in yourself and with other people?
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you're asking that. I think that's
1: such an important
2: thing. And I think the first thing is to make space for all the feelings and the fullness of that experience because it's a really devastating experience to be so sick on so many levels and just to keep showing up month after month and year after year to all the pain and the challenge that's involved including to the really difficult social challenges of having an invisible illness so there's like there's that overall experience itself just the sheer endurance that it takes to have had this experience and then if you have real improvement and you get some traction and then you lose that, how could that not be emotionally devastating? So first thing, just I make space for myself to feel really bad about it. You know, be devastated, feel grief, feel fear. And that's one of the things I'm grateful for is just having learned how to work with the more difficult feelings Um, make space for them without falling into their story. I think the key for me is, and and that's kind of a mantra for me, is you make space for the fullness of your experience and all the feelings, but you develop real clarity and um, discipline about not buying into the story. Um, And by the story, I mean sort of the core stories that you've been running most of your life, whether it's about illness or not, but the stories of despair um, or deficiency, so that you start to notice, you train yourself to notice when you're ru- running one of those core disempowering stories, and as soon as you notice it, you acknowledge, oh, okay, that's going on. It doesn't mean that you can necessarily get out of the story, but once you know that that's going on, all you all you have to do then is just invite yourself to open to the possibility that there's a lot more going on than what you can see right now so for me it's about holding the paradox of there's all the space in the world to, to feel exactly what I feel right now and I'm going to be um, part of the pain of what I'm experiencing is that I have a really contracted sense of possibility like I'm losing I, I'm feeling doubt that I can heal and you can acknowledge that you're feeling that without believing your thoughts about it. So that's part of it. I would say that learning that there are empowering perspectives and that there are disempowering perspectives and that how you frame things matters is a really important part of the training. Like noticing that we are caught in perspectives and emotional patterns or beliefs that were formed in an earlier experience of disempowerment or sometimes a really early life experience. Just noticing that we're caught in those perspectives gives us the opportunity to zoom out and open to a larger and more accurate view of reality. And the way I see it is the more empowering perspectives are the... uh, They're the more inclusive perspectives. They actually contain the truth that the disempowering perspectives contain, but then they contain much bigger truths and they expand to much larger possibilities. Does that make sense? Is that a little too abstract? No. Yeah, so we zoom out and we reframe whatever we're experiencing so that we can better understand what's really happening and hold open the space for possibilities that we're not even conscious exist. But to do that, we first have to acknowledge the validity of the experience of disempowerment and how it feels real right now and let the emotions that got trapped inside um, those particular experiences and whatever patterns, of feeling disempowered you have, you let all that energy start to move again. You let the emotions flow, you let yourself feel them. And life itself tends to take care of it. You know, when you let the energy move, the shifts tend to happen on their own. So it's important to understand that the more limited view is both valid and it's not the most accurate
1: understanding of, of the whole reality. Yeah, I really relate to that from the perspective of the dreaming of, like, your, your everyday reality, your physical reality is completely real. And at the same time, there's all of this extraordinary amount of experience and generative life force happening at the dreaming level that you can't even conceive of the tiniest little bit of that's in some ways more real. Um, and yet, um, well, I think something on, that, that touches on, on that, that level is also what you talk about with food as medicine, that connection between the, the dreaming reality and the deeper medicinal quality. And then there's this very real, what we eat builds our bodies. And that has a great impact on our health. And I know that you teach some or guide some, some workshops or some groups around food as medicine. And I have to say how excited I am about that. And we could do five podcasts on that because my, background in sustainable agriculture and permaculture was like it just it's so deep that even though that's not the work that i'm actively doing right now it it touches everything that i'm doing because it's so fundamental to me so i just want to geek out with you about food as medicine and hear everything that you're thinking about on this and how you guide people through i know you do some uh, maybe intuitive is not the right word. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like some intuitive eating practices, so that people are really tuning into their body in in their eating habits, and um yeah, take us take us into food as medicine. Yeah, I can really geek
2: out on this. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm fascinated with food and and particularly our relationship with food. What I what I realized at a certain point in my own process was that. No matter how important what we eat is, and it is important because, um, you know, we have a food system that's really corrupted, and there's all kinds of toxins in the food stream, and so it's important to educate ourselves and to not eat things that are poison to the body and to learn how to eat food that's deeply nourishing, to, you know, um, the fact that our soils are depleted is important, so we need to learn all those things about what constitutes truly nourishing food and, um, what that means for you and how, uh, or, or, or what you should eat. But what I realized was that what we eat is less important than how we eat. Meaning, how present we are to the food, how, um, how capable we are of being in relationship with food that is intimate and to recognize that this is an intimate exchange. This is about our relationship and our belongingness to all of nature. The plant realm and the animal realm have so much nourishment for us, and it's so diverse. Like, it's it's entirely customizable to every single person, every need, in every moment. So all that really needs to happen for us to benefit from that is to um, bring ourselves into alignment with nature to clear the veils uh, of misunderstanding away from our intuition so that we are able to sense, so we're able to awaken and train our deeper sense ability to know what we need in a given moment and to um, to be enjoying the intimacy of that relationship we have with nature. So. Food is medicine. Every single thing you eat and drink is medicine. and when you really know this and feel this, your relationship with food just naturally and organically changes and then this um, process of learning how to eat intuitively just kind of emerges naturally. So in my experience, what happened was my my attention once I realized that food is medicine my attention kind of settled into my body more deeply and I started to attune to the remarkable qualities in a given food and really, um, you know, allow myself to be moved by, let's say, the beauty of an apple seed. I, I remember eating an apple a couple weeks ago and one of the seeds fell out on a cutting board when I was cutting it and, then, and I picked up the seed and I just kind of got lost in this rapture about, what this seed contained you know the potential the the intelligence and the information in that tiny little seed it just all hit me at once um and then you know noticing all the details but then my my experience of eating that apple was so enhanced because I was simply present to what it actually is and in Dropping into that sense of uh, awareness and appreciation, I'm I'm sure that we receive the gifts of that food on multiple levels. So we're receiving the actual biochemical substance of nourishment deeply, um, but not only that, we're receiving the energetic nourishment, the prana and the chi. Is much more available because we've simply attuned ourselves to it and we've come into appreciation of it. I think as we settle into that kind of a relationship with food, we awaken this intelligence to know exactly what we need to eat, when we need it, and we begin to recognize that all the medicine we need is here in abundance. Um, one other thing I wanted to say about it, though, that a part of my process involved trying on lots of different diets um, many of which I learned a lot from and uh, some of which I think are pretty solid, have, have good solid guidelines for people who are beginning to change how they eat. But at a certain point, you have to put aside dietary dogma. And uh, if you don't do that, you're coming from your mind and you can't receive your body's guidance about what to eat right now. So it's a process of refining this discernment And that process, it's fine if that process takes years, but you have to, well, anyway, I had to move through balancing of excesses um, and releasing of attachments to certain foods and certain food habits. But once my intent to come into harmony in my relationship with food, once that intent was really clear and sincere, Mm -hmm. then this process of clarifying and refining my sense and appetite just happened with. Really, really efficiently. And that's a process I'm really excited about guiding people through that process. I'm in the, I'm developing a program right now that's gonna come out in spring called the Appetite Reset that will carry people through this process in seven days.
1: Is there anything else you want to say about that program? I'm really excited about that. It's coming out this this winter and it touches on the things that you were just describing around I love what you said about not having the the dogma but really moving into yes those different structures are helpful but the deeper process is that really listening and knowing how to use those structures in a way that resonates with that deeper part of your awareness what else would you like people to know about that upcoming program and how can they get in touch with you if they're interested in participating? Sure. Um well it's
2: it's gonna be a seven day immersion. Um, and the way that I am the way that I've been feeling it is it's centered around a ceremony of empowerment and restoration. There's a ceremony itself which is designed to kind of target the core deep patterning we have around food and To help open up space for us to shift our emotional, the emotional, uh, roots of our relationship with food. To allow us to shift that relationship so that instead of using food to compensate for our pain or to, or to create a buffer, um, a sensitive, in fact, use food a lot to just kind of buffer the intensity and, and modulate the overwhelm that we feel. So basically, um, the ceremony actually creates this opportunity for us to shift the core programming so that instead of using food to compensate, we're opening up to bringing our relationship with food into a deeper level of alignment so that um, we are asking our hunger to now express what's... Uh, to, to draw us toward what's going to feed our soul. And support our fullest expression in the world and help us retire our, the, the old patterns of emotional eating. So that's the ceremony. And then there's going to be a lot of exercises to um, understand what your relationship, to, to get to know what your relationship with food is and a lot of practical tools and techniques for actually working with your relationship with food in an ongoing way and, and some teaching about different um perspectives
1: you can take on it that are empowering rather than in addition to power. Wow, I'm really excited about that program and uh I, I wanna jump in there and I hope that dream tenders, you guys who are listening will jump in there if that resonates for you and I know Lauren you have amazing other programs we've talked about uh, earlier working with impasse and Sensitives and you have Sensit your online group for Impaths and Sensitives and I know you work one-on-one with people and um, you do ceremonies of completion and illness of spiritual initiation which we've which we've touched on and you just have all these amazing, wonderful offerings. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about these things? Do you have a a newsletter? Um, How can they find your blog and all that good stuff?
2: Yeah. um,
1: My website is
2: laurenworsh.com and that's L-A-U-R-E-N-W-O-R-S-H.com. All the information for the different programs, is there, and also um information more information about how I work with individuals for anybody who wants to go deeper with me and have a lot of private attention and I do have a newsletter and um a blog the blog's on my website. It's not very extensive right now um but i I will be writing a lot more, and newsletter I send out not too often, but I promise not to spam anybody. I send out uh, a newsletter maybe once or twice twice a month. And you can sign up on my website for that, too.
1: Excellent. Well, I've really enjoyed it. I know I've participated in some of your online offerings before, and, and there's just a lot of depth as as you can – tenders as you can hear listening to this conversation today. Um, Lauren, as we wrap up today, my final question, yes. and you can change it and make it a different question if there's something more juicy for you, but – What do you wish that people with chronic pain and invisible illness knew that you've had to learn the hard way?
2: Mm -hmm. I think there are a couple pieces for me. The first is that being compassionate and gentle with yourself is essential Um, and that that in itself, learning how to do that, is a training. Another piece is that it helps to, to cultivate the capacity to hold paradoxes your thinking. So, for example, the paradox we were talking about earlier about this is an opportunity for you to move into recognizing your creative power and your nature as a sovereign being, and at the same time noticing that there are ways that you um, are acting out the patterns of being a victim of real circumstances that exist in society. Like, we are still as a collective, just starting to unpack this whole structure of society that is designed to create victimization um, that perpetuates suffering. So there's a paradox because we are sovereign creators and we are working within a system that's pretty pretty dysfunctional and diseased. So it's the system itself is diseased, and I think we call for our own diseases to recognize the larger disease that we are embedded in so that we can unpack and break the code of the matrix as, as we've carried it in our own system. So there's this opportunity for tremendous transformation. And at the same time, transformation and healing doesn't have to mean it's your. So never blame yourself. If you do not cure your physical condition, that's never a failure. The opportunity for healing exists whether or not cure is possible. And um one last piece, honor your courage and learn how to validate yourself and surround yourself with people who can validate you because that's that's pretty hard to find for people who are living inside this situation. Uh and it's it's really important to to not make yourself wrong for having this experience. And in fact to honor the deeper intelligence that's inside of it, and in and inside of the you know the intelligent soul that created this experience.
1: Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. It's been really a pleasure to talk with you, and I've gotten moments of deep clarity and goosebumps several times during this conversation. And I really hope that people are taking the time to listen to this maybe more than once and really letting it sink in and reaching out to you to work with you. And thank you so much for your gifts to the world, to the listeners here today. And um, I hope to talk with you more in the future. Oh, I'd love to. I'm so grateful
2: for this conversation. I, I, this is what I love to talk about. So <laughs> I'm sure we could talk about it all in much more depth and there's so many other things we could
1: talk about thank you so much Janelle Yeah, my pleasure, thank you
0: you've been listening to the Body Dreams and Nightmares podcast with your host Janelle Innerarity follow us and join the discussion at patreon.com backslash Janelle Innerarity we'll see you soon, until then, keep dreaming